The views expressed during this program are not necessarily those of the staff, management, ownership, or advertisers of KZSB AM 1290 or the Santa Barbara News Press. It's the Andy Caldwell Radio Show. Andy is a government watchdog, business and traditional values advocate, and on this show, he interviews leaders and scholars on a variety of local, state, and national issues. I'd like to welcome you to the Tuesday edition of the Andy Caldwell Show. We've got an all-star lineup, names that are very familiar to you. Steve Frank's going to be with us. We're going to be talking about a number of pieces, including climate change hysteria and analysis of the same. Tom Del Beccaro, tell us why he thinks Bernie Sanders could be the Democratic nominee. Plus, he highlights nine steps from freedom to socialism to societal breakdown. Dr. Gerard Francis Lamero, author of the book More Great News for America, is going to give us his take on the 2020 presidential election candidates and the Democrats' strategy to defeat President Trump. But first up, it's our pleasure to have one of our absolute favorite guests back with us after a hiatus, Dr. Mark Mostert. He's got a PhD. He's an internationally renowned expert in the area of disability and bioethics. Dr. Mark, welcome back. Andy, good to be back with you. How are things on the left coast? Good. We missed you. Thank you for being oh, back you. with us. Yeah, I took a little break. You know, I thought, I thought <laughs> your listeners uh, would uh, do well with a break. I, I, I heard that uh, some of the times I'm on the show, blood shoots out of their eyes. So no, not break. my <laughs> listeners. <laughs> hey, uh, let's. I've not talked about this hardly at all. I wrote a little bit about it, and it'll be published, I think, tomorrow in the news press. Um, this... Uh, heinous uh, loss of life in New Zealand, uh, yeah. mass, mass casualties. Uh, it seems to be just pure demagoguery. Um, and and ra- I don't know if you call it racial violence or r- religious violence. But, um, you know, the bottom line is this guy just cold-heartedly picked a target and went in there with abandon and killed scores of people. Well, you know, I have to tell you this, Andy. Uh, on Thursday night, which of course was New Zealand uh, midday time, I was I was just going to bed and I was scrolling through um, a, a, a website I often frequent, and they had the video up. But it just happened at that point. There were four uh, confirmed dead. It was the very early stages of this, and they had the video, the actual video up of the the GoPro camera of him killing these people. And I thought it was a hoax because I, I looked at the the video. And it looked exactly like a video game. And I thought, come on, someone's put a video game up here and is really pulling our leg. This is ridiculous. I mean, it looked so much like a video game. And the next morning, of course, I was appalled to find out that uh, what I've seen, which is not what many people have seen because it got taken down so quickly, was the actual was the actual event. And, yeah, this is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to have happened. This is a terrible event. And certainly uh, nobody should condone this kind of violence against anybody, whether it's Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, whatever. Uh, so I think we all agree on that. I think, however, uh, as, as you mentioned, the rhetoric coming out of this uh, quickly muddies the waters, okay? Uh, so, so you have some people saying, you know, it's Donald Trump's fault that this happened, uh, and so on and so forth. No, this is, this is one guy who clearly is, uh, shall we be kind and say unbalanced, uh, who is a murderer, 
And unfortunately, New Zealand doesn't have the death penalty, which I think he should absolutely get uh, 50 times over. Um, so, so we have to be really careful about how we handle these things. And I really think that uh, this is a terrible blow to the Muslim community. Um, I was interested to see how the rhetoric went, though, uh, on Saturday. Uh, 51 Muslim countries came out condemning the killings, as they should have. I have no problem with that. But you know what I do have a problem with, Andy? I did not see 51 Muslim countries coming together about uh, September 11, 2001, and condemning those attacks. I did not see them... Uh, well, 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 let me interrupt you. They sure. not only didn't condemn them, they celeb some countries celebrated. Yeah, and same with San Bernardino, and uh, same with, with the gay nightclub in Florida. These were all Muslim, uh, the Muslim equivalent of, of this Australian guy that, that, that killed the Muslims in, in New Zealand. And I didn't see a peep out of the Muslim community condemning that. And as I've said here before, I think the Muslim community owes it to themselves and to the rest of us that when some of the fringe elements within their religion and within their communities do these things, is to condemn them. Stand up and say, Muslims are not all like that. We condemn this in the, strong, the strongest possible terms. We will not let this stand in our communities. That's not what happens. Uh, I'm sure there are many good Muslim people who don't agree with that, but I think they're too scared to speak out. Well, you know what they do? And this, I mean, this is like clockwork. Mm -hmm. If a Muslim extremist murders Jews or Christians or, or other Muslims somewhere else in the world in, in a high-profile case like this, their first press release is, well, let's not engage in Islamophobia now. Exactly. You know, exactly. in other words, they def instead of condemning the Islamic Correct. terrorists, they Correct. defend Islam. In their that's what they state. It's like clockwork. That, it's, that's like clockwork, and, and, and you know, the so-called quote-unquote religion of peace is not a religion of peace. Everybody understands that. Everybody knows that. And I, let me tell you why. The most people that are killed by Muslims are other Muslims. Exactly. And so we have to separate what happened in New Zealand as a very heinous crime from the rhetoric of what's going on in basically weaponizing that for all kinds of other ends. When I see the Muslim community condemning fellow Muslims for a mass murder in London or in, in, in Holland or in, in France or in the United States, where there are 51 Muslim countries that say, we will not stand for these people in our midst. These are Muslims. They're not who we are. Uh, we condemn them. Then I will feel a little bit better. But they don't do that. And, and quite frankly, I'm not an Islamic scholar, but I know enough about Islam to know that the basis of the religion is violence, certainly against unbelievers uh, that are not Muslim. And now, does every Muslim go around thinking about murderous things? No, of course, I don't think that at all. But there are fanatics among them that do, uh, ergo ISIS, and, and, and all other kinds of groups. So I, I think the, the Muslim community has been left wanting here. Uh, everyone has been very, very careful about being helpful and, and, and about saying this is a terrible thing. But, but we, don't, we also don't need to forget that when things happen to Christians or to Jews around the world or to Americans um, at the hand of Muslims, we don't hear anything from them, and I think that's very disappointing. And, and, and the most ridiculous thing of all, I thought, besides blaming Trump um, when this guy planned this thing a long time ago, was yep. Chelsea Clinton, of all people, Chelsea Clinton, you know, kind of rebukes Omar for perpetuating anti-Semitic uh, tropes. Right. And then, and then somebody blames her "quote unquote" rhetoric for yeah. for contributing to the, ma the to the massacre. 
Yeah, Chelsea Clinton went to a vigil uh, uh, about the massacre in New York City, and uh, two two students, one a Palestinian and and another student, confronted her afterwards and said, "You know, this, your your kind of rhetoric is out of place." And what 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 they were referring to was that uh, when Ilan Omar, uh, uh, Democrat Mogadishu, uh, had had come out and made all kinds of anti-Semitic <laughs> remarks. Um, uh, Hillary, uh, Chelsea Clinton got up and said, you know, this is out of line. You can't do that. But because you, this is the way it goes, because you now criticize a woman of color who is a Muslim, because you, you, you criticize her for being clearly and openly anti-Semitic, we now have an anti-Semite living and breathing in, in, in the U.S. government. Could you imagine if David Duke had been elected to office, what they would have done to him? Um, and so basically these two people said to, to Chelsea, you know, um, you went after and condemned uh, Elon Omar for 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 her quote unquote anti-Semitic remarks, and that's what has caused the the, the 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 massacre in New Zealand because you're basically speaking out against Muslims, and that's the trick. That's the the sleight of hand. The sleight of hand is any criticism of Muslims, ergo, is always and only Islamophobia. They, other than that, they're white as the driven snow, never done anything wrong. You know, uh, you, you can't, we're at the point now where you simply can't criticize Muslims because it, it, it's like criticizing gays, you're homophobic. Now, if you criticize anyone who happens to be um, a Muslim for anti-Semitic remarks, of all things, uh, now you are, uh, of course, an Islamophobe. It's, a, it's all a bunch of rubbish, and people like Elon Omar should be thrown out of office with the kinds of things that they've already done. You know, we don't need that around here. I agree. We don't need, we don't need people telling us, that Jews run the country because of their money. We don't need them talking about it's the Benjamins, baby. You know what, Elon? Go, go back to Mogadishu and see how long you last with the kind of attitudes that in this country you freely allow to espouse. I, help, I hate that you're allowed to espouse from the halls of Congress. Go back, go back to Mogadishu and see how long you last doing that kind of stuff. All right, Dr. Mark, we're going to be back. Dr. Mark Moster, you're listening to The Andy Caldwell Show. Stay tuned. The Andy Caldwell Show is sponsored in part by Colab, the Coalition of Labor, Agriculture, and Business. No ranting, screaming, or talking over one another. Just intelligent people having an informative conversation. This is The Andy Caldwell Show. I'd like to welcome you back to the show. My guest, Dr. Mark Mostert, Ph.D., a internationally renowned expert in the area of disability and bioethics. And also has been involved in academia for quite some time. I've heard of helicopter parents, but I never heard of the snowplow parent. When, yeah, tune well, me in here. Yeah. Well, you know, the, this, the, the, we, we find these, these new things uh, to describe uh, bizarre parental behavior. And this one, I think, is actually quite accurate. And it's the term, as you mentioned, snowplow parenting. And what snowplow parenting refers to is that parents, just like a snowplow, will plunge ahead of their children, casting everything aside in their path so that their poor little darlings never feel offended, get hurt, or fail in any way, shape, or form. Now, um, we, we've seen this, you know, somewhat. It's kind of a more intense version of helicopter parenting. But the thing that I found about this piece that was so ludicrous and hilarious to me is that this now extends to kids who are in college. So, you know, let's say... Yeah, you got a five-year-old kid and you're a snowplow parent, right? You know, you, you, you forge ahead of them just so much to make sure they don't have any uh, problems. They never encounter any disappointments. They always get what they want. They never get to feel frustrated. They always think they're the greatest thing in the world. Uh, yeah, okay. 
maybe, I don't think it's good, but okay. But when you're doing it for your college-age students, there is something seriously wrong, okay? And basically what the article talked about is that more and more at universities, parents are doing things to make sure their children don't fail or don't run into any problems. And one of the things they're doing, and I'm not making this up, I swear I'm not making this up, parents are actually arranging what they call, quote-unquote, play dates, play dates for their college-age kids. In other words, the parents are getting uh, involved in any kind of social interaction that their children have in college, and they're setting them up just in case the kids do it themselves and get um, either offended or disappointed or whatever else. So I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And as we know with the big scandal we've got going on in California with, with, with actors who pay lots of money to get kids into college, that's the ultimate snowplow period, okay? That you don't want them to, uh, first of all, you don't want them to go through the hassle and the hardship of actually applying to colleges. <laughs> uh, and you certainly, you, oh, you know, heaven forbid they get rejected by a college. Can you imagine the internal spiritual chaos in those poor children? They will be scarred for life and end up on Dr. Phil forthwith. I mean, it's just the most absolute amount of rubbish you've ever known to man. That these people are so involved in their kids, they don't want them to fail. They don't want them to experience disappointment. They don't want them to ever have to lift a finger to do things uh, in their own lives. And then what happens? Eventually, at some point, eventually... The snowplow breaks down because the kids become, quote-unquote, adults, allegedly, and then they get out into the real world. And guess what happens? These people still go after that with their kids. These are parents who, if a kid has a problem at work, call up their kid's boss and whine to the kid's boss about how he treated their kid. When you are a, a child or a child adult or whatever you want to call that person, and your mama is calling your boss because you got chewed out, you are in serious, serious trouble. You're a wimp, you have spaghetti for a spine, and things ain't going to go well for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, that's a, put it mildly. I knew that one was going to get you wound up. And it's, and it's, I mean, I've heard the same thing. I've heard, I've heard of parents a number of years. This is a number of years ago. You know, some kid gets their first job, they get a negative employee evaluation, and next thing you know, yep. mom is on the phone wanting to know how they did that to their perfect little darling. Yeah, and you know, listen, I've, I've never been in charge of a business, but if that was me and the mother called me, I would fire the kid right on the spot and say, until you can come in here like a grown-up person and deal with this negative evaluation, until you can learn from it, because that's the reason I'm giving it to you, Bozo, until you can do that, Go live in your parents' basement in a onesie and don't bother me. I, yeah, I mean, it, it, and this uh, it just related to this, uh, just a little off the subject, but there was this big uh, survey that came out this week about millennials and what they find, the top 20 things they find to be the most stressful things in their lives. Did you see that article? No, no, do tell. Yeah. They, they do this. They did this massive survey of millennials, and they came up with, out of all the surveys, they said to them, what are the most stressful things in your life? As a young adult, what are the most stressful things in your life? Okay? Now, I, I would think something like a death of a parent, an auto accident where I'm left quadriplegic. Um, okay. Do you know what some of these... I won't quote you the whole list, okay? But one, I think number four or five on the list of most stressful things in the whole possible in their lives was that their phone screen broke. I'm not making this up. Do you know what was number 20 on the list of the most stressful things in their lives? Washing dishes. I am not making this up, Andy. 
one of the things that enough of them said was stressful to them to get their butts into a kitchen, roll up their sleeves, and wash dishes. This is insanity. Well, you know, you know, one of my points has always been: I, I was fortunate, and I think you were too. Both of my parents were from the greatest generation. Yeah. So, you know, my dad was my mom my dad was born in 1919, 100 years ago, and my mom was born in 1921. Yeah. They went they first of all, they're both born in the tail end of World War 1, and I mean the tail yeah. end. They go through the Great Depression. They, my dad was here in America, they went through the Dust Bowl. And then my dad was prisoner of war, World War II, Baton Death March survivor, whereas my mom was from wow. Austria. We were bombing the hell out of her. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so and here's the deal. They call those guys the greatest generation. But what made them great was the suffering that they exactly. went through. And and that's where I've always worried. That, they, that we've done other shows, like, for instance, that the Army doesn't even try to teach grenade throwing anymore. Right. Because they don't know how to throw a football or a baseball. Right. They don't know the mechanics of throwing, you know. Right. And then, and, and then the fact that a lot of these kids don't fear socialism. Yep. Uh, I'm thinking they, they're grown up to hate America. They don't fear socialism. They, yep. They're not inclined to know how to fight or have the will to fight, no. nor are they motivated. For instance, I don't know if they think it would be a bad thing that China threatened us. Maybe they think that would be a better well, deal for them. Well, well, just to tie this into the last segment, if, the, if jihadis read this list, yeah. they are chortling like you can't imagine. <laughs> exactly. Okay? <laughs> let, me, let me just – I want to go through all 20. Let me just read you uh, – this is the 20. All right. Do it quick. we got about three okay. minutes. Okay. N- number, number three – Traffic delays. God. Number six, get this, of, of, of the 20 most stressful things in their lives, slow Wi-Fi. Number seven, phone battery dying. Number 10, forgetting your phone charger. Number 12, paying your bills. Number 14, phone screen breaking. Number 16, 17, 18, choosing what to wear. And number 20, my favorite, washing dishes. Now, let me tell you something. When jihadis look at that, they laugh and say, we're, we're going to win this battle hands down. Okay? If you think people who find this stressful are ever going to put on a uniform and dodge bullets and kill other people for the good of this country, good luck to you. It ain't going to happen. Yeah, it's just I, you know, you wonder who who raised these people, and of course, well, you know what the, I say it is: it's the grand, the it's the grandchildren of that '60s generation is who these people are. Exactly right, and we don't want you to fail. We don't want you to have hurt feelings. We don't want you to be disappointed, and and all kinds of um, uh, you know namby pamby rubbish. Um, and these people are being raised to be just, just absolute idiots, and yeah. They, they then find the world a stressful place because they forgot their phone charger. I mean, now, we all forget phone chargers. It's, it's a bit of a hassle. But one of the most stressful things in your life, no, Andy, I've been in combat. Let me tell you, when you've got some guy shooting you and trying to blow your head off, that's stressful, okay? Trust me. At that point, was you're not worrying about whether you missed your charger. Was it for something you said? 
Who me? No, never. Could, could not possibly have been. But I will tell you this: I came out of combat, and some of them didn't. That's that's. Well, thank you for serving, because <laughs> I know you were on the side of right, whatever you were doing. Yeah, Doctor Mark, it was so it was great to have you back. Thank you for being Thanks, with us. Thanks, Danny. All thank right. you. Bye. All right, we're going to be back with Doctor Gerard Francis Lamero. That was Doctor Mark Mostert. Stay tuned. The Andy Caldwell Show is sponsored in part by Colab, the Coalition of Labor, Agriculture, and Business. If your family and your community are important to you, then you're in the right place. You're listening to The Andy Caldwell Show. I'd like to welcome you back to the show. It's always a good day when we have Dr. Gerard Francis Lamero on the show. He's got a Ph.D. He's an author, philosopher, economist, and an engineer, and the author of More Great News for America. He's an expert prognosticator because he knows how to crunch data like nobody's business, the data behind the polls that most people get wrong. Dr. Lamero, welcome back. Oh, it's great to be back with you. Always love your show. Always love talking to you. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Well, let's talk in general about the 2020 presidential election update. We're less than we're about a year, less, little bit less than a year away from the California primary because they moved us up to March. So we might actually matter in this next cycle, unless other people move theirs up to stay ahead of us. <laughs> That's right. The battle for being first. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, there's. I think at least a dozen candidates that have announced. How many of these should we be taking serious? Well, that's a that's a different question. Serious. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are officially uh, thirteen Democratic candidates that are announced and out there. There's another twelve that are look like they could announce almost any day. Uh, you know, they're feeling out their support and and trying to decide. And then there's actually another dozen on the fringe that might just jump in who say they're not running. So you have uh, technically almost 40, believe it or not, <laughs> that could be running. But I don't think they all will, uh, mainly largely because you need so much money and it's hard for them to raise. So, so there are that many uh, we're dealing with, and there are all sorts of shades of left. They're left, left, and more left, you know. <laughs> or you might say socialist light, socialist heavy, uh, you know, $100 trillion debt they want to run up or $110 trillion money they want to run up in debt. So there are, there are different shades, but they all seem to have the same basic outlook. Now, Dr. Lamero, we've been talking for a long time, and one of the things that you predicted was the Democratic Party was going to end as we knew it. And my yes. question is, Is are we watching it in slow motion? The fact that most all of the leading candidates are far, far left, that they're, they're avowed socialists, not Democrats, did we just see that happen in slow motion? Yeah, I think so. You know, when you change uh, political uh, party realignments, when there's a per political party realignment, as there is, uh, every time there's a historic presidential election, the most recent one was 2016, they only happen roughly every 24 to 36 years where you have a big shakeup. The shakeup is going on, and I think it's going to end uh, in 2020, and we'll see the new parties take shape officially in 2021. 
And I think, uh, you know, a lot of people have asked me, when will the Democratic Party be over? And for years, since 2015, I've been saying, I don't know exactly what year. But now I've put a date on it. I, I expect the Democratic Party, after the devastating election results for them in 2020, will actually shut down their doors in 2021. All right. So we have uh, Beto O'Rourke, who is not Hispanic. Bernie Sanders and and Joe Biden's not declared, but those are three of the names I hear people talk about the most. Yes, I think they are part of the, if you will, um, leading candidates in my forecast model. And another one you didn't mention, but I will uh, for listeners is Michelle Obama is actually a leading candidate. She has uh, a lot of support. Uh, she has a lot of benefits of uh, being married to a former president. They have the organizational um, collateral, if you will. They have the financial backing of many people. Uh, and they have a number of other factors that are pluses. I think she is an undeclared lead race right now, especially since so many of the others uh, have so many problems with them. Now, wait, is that a toy? Some- is this all... Is this all planned out, that it's a ploy, that she announces, I'm not running, and then people are going to beg her, and she'll say she has no choice? I think so. And it may not be uh, a ploy that she doesn't have a choice, but it's it's a ploy saying, I have no interest, when indeed they do. Uh, And I think she does have an interest. I think she has the... The uh, basically the kinds of things you need political, organizational, financial connections you have to have to run a presidency or a presidential campaign effectively, uh, thanks to her husband. And a lot of the other people don't. Like, let me give you an example uh, Joe Biden. He's been talking about he might run, he might run, he, you know, he's thinking about everything. Let me tell you what I think is the reality. If Joe Biden had the political, organizational, financial connections of Michelle Obama right now, he would already have announced. He hasn't announced because he can't find the money. That's what I think. And what about Beto? He he raised a boatload of money for his U.S. Senate race. Are they still, from for instance, from Hollywood? Are they still uh, captivated by him? Yeah, and don't forget something about him. Most people don't know. His father-in-law, the father of his wife, okay, his father-in-law, is actually a billionaire who helped put him in office originally. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. So he's got a billionaire in the family to start with. And then uh, after he had his little funk after losing to Ted Cruz, uh, he decided he wanted to run again after saying he would absolutely not run in 2020. Now he's running. And he was able to raise the $6.1 million. We don't know the exact, you know, like, breakdown of who donated the money at this point. But he was able to do that in 24 hours, which is the most of any of the candidates uh, who are running currently, although Bernie Sanders surpassed uh, $6 million when he got up to $10 million, but it took him, him a week to get to $10 million. He got, like, $5.9 million in the first day. But Bernie's also pretty good at raising money at the moment. So those two people have the money. That's why they're in the race. Now, Bernie did phenomenally well among young people. Has he gotten too old for those young people? Possibly. Uh, And is he too white? And is he too white in this election cycle? Well, uh, that's a tough one to call. 
because, uh, you know, the Democrats seem to be more racially conscious uh, than conservatives. And that I don't think that that would keep him from getting nominated. Uh, but I think his age is a factor. He's up there in age in the 70s. And some people think he's already hit his high point in 2016. When, by the way, if the election in 2016 wasn't rigged by Hillary and the Democratic National Committee that she controlled, which she shouldn't have as a candidate, he probably would have been nominated then. But they had the superdelegates all pledged more or less to Hillary Clinton. So I think his, his high point was probably 2016. I think he will be shunted aside. Don't forget, everything he stood for stands for Medicare for all, $15 minimum wage, free college tuition, et cetera. Uh, they've all been adopted by everybody else. Uh, the, everybody copied him maybe right. because he was in the lead. Kate, let's switch over to the other side of the aisle. Jeb Bush is out there saying, I want a GOP challenger to Trump. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> what does he think uh, Trump is? What does he think all the people support Trump are if they're not Republicans? They're and, and of course, and then the question is: Is then Jeb? Why don't you jump back in again? Well, maybe he's hinting at that too, and let him go in there. He'll he'll get probably two or three percent of the vote <laughs> in the primaries because right now the Republicans support Trump by more than ninety percent. There isn't anybody. I mean, Mitt Romney would love to run, and he's a Republican, according to Jeb Bush, I think, according to his definition. Jeb, uh, Jeb Bush, uh, and actually plenty of others, John Kasich, Mitt Romney, they would all love to run against Trump. They don't stand a uh, chance, because Trump is very uh, popular among uh, rank-and-file Republicans. And finally, last question before we have to take a break. Independence. That guy from, was it Starbucks? The Starbucks yes. guy was going to do it. Is he going to do it? That's a great question. I think he's unlikely to stick with it. He's going to make a decision this summer. He said he would decide it by the summer. And uh, he's trying to moderate the Democrats. He'd like to see a Democrat run, believe it or not, instead of a socialist. He knows the most likely a socialist is going to get the nomination. He would rather have a Democrat of old, or at least a little bit more moderate. And uh, the Democrats are twisting his arm big time because they don't want him to run and take any votes away from the socialist who's going to get the nomination. Why wouldn't he bankroll Biden, since Biden seems to be the only one that's quote-unquote moderate? Because he's a dinosaur, I guess. I don't know. Well, I, I think that uh, many people think that uh, Biden just can't win. He's had a kind of a spotty record. He, he got nominated uh, as vice presidential candidate to Obama, but he couldn't get a, a presidential nomination on his own. When he tried different things to move his own career ahead, it didn't go anywhere. He also has a lot of gas. A lot of people think he just plain can't win, and at this stage he's too old as well because He's in the, the group we call the dinosaur Democrats that are old and they're kind of being pushed aside by many of the younger, the, the 30, 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-olds who want to see somebody younger run because they're sick of uh, losing presidential elections. All right, we're going to take a break. Our guest, Dr. Gerard Francis Lamero, you're listening to The Andy Caldwell Show. Stay tuned. The Andy Caldwell Show is sponsored in part by Colab, the coalition of labor, agriculture, and business. The only talk show on the Central Coast that exposes what the politicians in Sacramento are doing. 
You are listening to The Andy Caldwell Show. I'd like to welcome back to the show my guest, Dr. Gerard Francis Lamero, Ph.D., author, philosopher, economist. His book, More Great News for America, is great news for America. He's an expert prognosticator. And Dr. Lamero and I were just going over the field of Democrats, potential Republicans and independents. Now we're going to shift to another piece he wrote for the Lamero blog, and that's the Democrats' strategy to defeat Trump. If I were to summarize your piece, it's free everything for everybody. <laughs> well, that's uh, there's actually two parts. Uh, one is try to go after Donald Trump because he's really popular. You know, a recent Rasmussen poll had him at 52% approval. My forecasting uh, model has him at 55% approval. And in terms of economic policies, he's got a 71% approval in, in one uh, particular uh, set of data. So he's got a lot of approval. And so I think the first part of the Democrat strategy to defeat Trump's reelection is attack, investigate, and blanket the fake news with uh, fake innuendos. In other words, say things. You know, you have people currently, I hear it on the news at night, uh, and that say things like, oh, he's corrupt. He abused his power. He did this. He did that. Uh, he violated the law. But then you ask them, well, what, what did he do wrong? And they don't have an answer. You just say, well, the answers are out there. And, and they just say things, hoping that it will somehow hurt the American voter's opinion of Donald Trump, but they don't have any evidence that they did. They would put it out there long ago. So that's number one. Part two is uh, besides attacking Donald Trump to pull him down, part two is promise everybody everything. That's, that's the, uh, the way socialism goes. It's like it's free lunch for everybody. It's the Santa Claus strategy, or I call it the free lunch strategy. You know, the list is pretty long. I mean, free Medicare for all, free universal pre-kindergarten for all, pre-early childhood for all, free college tuition, uh, free universal income. You get a salary, whether or not you want to work or do work, but you get a salary. By the way, who pays for it? Well, I guess you go into debt. You must have to ask the Chinese to pay for it because we don't have enough money and we can't print enough or we'll have a lot of inflation. Free vacations for all, free leaves of absences. Oh, and a new one is free reparations for anybody who is impacted by slavery for the last 400 years. That ought to be an easy one to come up with. <laughs> who gets paid money? Uh, free nutritional breakfasts and lunches, free high-speed transit. And, of course, if you go further, you've got the, the green strategy where AOC and others want to eliminate airline travel to help global climate change that they think is happening and instead replace it with these high-speed trains that nobody can afford, like the one in California. <laughs> uh, that's so expensive and has had big cost overruns. So let me ask so you this question. So you, you mentioned in the first part that they're going to go after Trump, attack, invest, investigate, smear. Well, they've been doing that since before he got inaugurated. They were asking for his impeachment before he got inaugurated. My question to you is... I didn't expect Trump to win, all right? I, I didn't expect him to even beat the other Republicans, let alone beat Hillary Clinton. You pegged it that he was going to win. And, and, right. and 
my point is I didn't know that the American people, because the media was so negative and everything else, that they'd be able to see through it all. But they obviously did. They obviously wanted somebody that was not part of the establishment, not part of the swamp and things like that. Right. Are they no, still see, right. are they still seeing through the noise? Absolutely. And, and Trump is solidifying his support among some of the traditionally identity groups. For example, black Americans are an all-time high for supporting him. Uh, women who were a little bit upset about the border and his approach, they were worried it was too harsh. They're now supporting him and saying, we don't want uh, 50 million doses of fentanyl getting across the border. We don't want people coming across the border with various diseases, you know, mumps and measles we know about, but there's some others. There's something called the uh, virus of pain and stuff. Uh, and I don't remember all the medical names, but, but, you know, there's some pretty bad diseases that come across from the third world uh, if it's not prevented at the border. I mean, at the very least, we should be stopping everybody and say, hey, let's have some blood tests here. We don't need anyone who's sick to come in. I mean, maybe these people need medical attention, but I don't know if we're going to be the hospital for the world. Maybe we want to, but if we do, we have to at least protect our citizens who are here and maybe set up a hospital in Arizona or something. And, uh, but you see what I'm saying? Uh, women voters are switching their allegiance to Trump because of the very fact that they're worried for their own families. And right, they should be. And blacks and Hispanics have had a historical low unemployment have they have they started to see that the Republicans actually delivered what the Democrats always failed to deliver? Yeah, that's also true of Black Americans. They are all time high employment, and some of the numbers uh, are just incredible. Like a hundred years, uh, they're the best numbers in a hundred years, and so these things make a difference. And by the way, I wrote a piece about. About 25 years ago, called the Ten Laws for Winning Presidential Elections, which some people running for president still read, and the ones that follow it usually do better because those laws really work. And one of the laws has to do with if the country is not in a war at the moment, and we're not really in a shooting war directly against any country. Uh, the biggest issue in presidential elections is the economy, and most people look at their pocketbooks and say, "Hey, I got a job." My college kid was able to get a job after he graduated. Uh, you know, my salary went up a little bit. Uh, taxes went down a little bit in some places. So they're pretty happy. And they tend to say, let's not rock the boat with some new president. Let's reelect whoever's there. Trump right now is on, on target to win not only election, but reelection by a, a substantial electoral college. Victory. And and what about the Dems' move to get rid of that pesky electoral college? Well, um, they have that compact where when when 270 electoral votes worth of states say they want to vote for the popular vote winner instead of the electoral college vote, then that, that kicks in. But if anybody does it, you're going to have an instant Supreme Court battle on your hands because it violates the Constitution. Right, right. The Constitution specifies how a president is elected. If they try to pick, you know, somebody who's from Los Angeles or New York uh, because the popular vote happened to go in favor of the Democrats, that's going to be challenged immediately, maybe tied up in court for a long time. It's going to cause a real constitutional issue. But there are other things as well uh, that are wrong with that law. And uh, 
it may fail for any number of reasons. Is there any chance that the uh, the Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's generation will just overwhelm in the ballot harvesting mechanism? Will overwhelm the ballot box? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, there are you know, the election is actually about three thousand separate elections. It's done more or less by counties across the country. It's hard for them to spread out and affect all 3,000 counties. They can obviously affect Orange County, California. They can affect certain places where they have a lot of people. But there are a lot of places they just don't have influence, and they don't have the positions to do it. Which is why they want to get rid of the flyover states <laughs> piece of yeah, right. the electoral college. I'm just kind of wondering whether whether these young people, you know, because of the Green Deal and all this other stuff, are going to be motivated like never before to show up, i.e., is voter turnout among the younger people? Because the older people, like, I'll just use us, people like us are dying, you know, uh, you know, literally dying. Um, and and how long before the Ocasio Cortez generation that got brought up to hate this country is numerically superior? Well, they'll get superior, but they're not monolithic. Uh, what we're finding is that if you talk to a millennial and you say, "Do you want free Medicare for all, including yourself?" They say, "Oh yeah, we'll take it. It's free. <laughs> you know, it's a great deal. You can pay our college tuition, sure." But then if you tell them, well, this is what it's going to take, and are you willing to give up this and this? For example, in Canada, we, right You know now, what? We're almost out of time, Dr. Okay, Lamero. Okay. I'm well, I was just going to say, they, they change their mind immediately okay, if you give good. them the data. I'll send them the bill. They'll change their mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dr. Lamero, thank you so much for being with us. Okay, great talking. All right, coming up next, Tom Del Beccaro. Don't go away. You're listening to The Andy Caldwell Show. The views expressed during this program are not necessarily those of the staff, management, ownership, or advertisers of KZSB AM 1290 or the Santa Barbara News Press. business and traditional values advocate, and on this show, he interviews leaders and scholars on a variety of local, state, and national issues. I'd like to welcome you back to the show. It's always our pleasure to have back with us Tom Del Beccaro. is the author of the book, The Divided Era. He is a Fox business contributor, um, former chairman of the California Republican Party. Tom, welcome back to the show. Hey, how are you? I'm actually now a Fox News News, uh, opinion writer. And today we have the, I have the number one op-ed on Beto O'Rourke. Oh, good. Well, um, somebody's got to update the material I get sent. (laughs) 
that'll make it in the next announcement. <laughs> anyway, it's there good go. to have you. Thank you for doing it. And it is great to have somebody that knows what's going on in the state of California having a national platform. But obviously, you can talk about things all across the land. What do you have to say about Beto O'Rourke? Well, <laughs> the, the, the title of my piece is, is, is he the selfie politician and a metaphor for our times? I mean, Beto O'Rourke is like the bad, the worst of the Internet startups, where he took in a lot of money, produced nothing, and went belly up. The guy's got nothing. I mean, he's running for president. What has he ever done? He got elected, okay, but once he got elected, has not in Congress, did he do anything? No. Any legislative bills? No. Was he a good businessman in life? No. Was he run a charity? No. Did he do some social cause? No. The guy gets a lot of money because the internet can create sensations, loses, and says, oh, okay, it's time for me to be president. I mean, it's just, it's truly amazing where we are as a country that this person he fantasized about running over people in his car, later joined an organization that was hacking websites and stealing credit cards. But hey, he raised $6.1 million in a day. Okay, let me, let me, you went over a lot of stuff there. Let me ask you one thing. You mentioned something he did nothing, accomplished nothing. Were you talking about Barack Obama or Beto O'Rourke? I think yeah. Barack Obama, personally, I think Barack Obama, if he hadn't, wasn't black, he would not have become president or U.S. senator. I think that I think he got voted for so that America could at least want to believe for a while before the creation of Black Lives Matter and stuff that our racial uh, profiling and, you know, biases days were behind us. Yeah, and he actually made them worse by focusing on them in a negative way instead of uh, a productive way. But he had done nothing. He had accomplished nothing. He was a quote-unquote organizer. Yeah, and Beto O'Rourke's got even less going for him uh, and has a lot of troubling things in his past. So this is the very idea that he can run for president as if he has some great... Understanding, he said. And then the other day, he said that capitalism is racist. Actually, capitalism is, doesn't exist in the sense that you can't point to it. There's not a law passed that says capitalism. There's a law passed that says socialism, that gets you to socialism. There are a variety of laws, but capitalism is the absence of government, and for and it's. Interactions between individuals. It is not, quote, racist. It has no body. It has no thought. It just shows you the idiocy of, of some millennials in this country. And, and even though he's actually years old, I mean, here's his entitlement. He says he was born to run for president? Are you kidding me? Yeah, he's just something else. But but as we both know, the Hollywood and some others dumped tens of millions of dollars into his race against Cruz in Texas, and he almost won. So my question is, if he could almost win Texas, can he not come close to winning America? Well, 
uh, I doubt it. You know, it's going to be hard to beat, and it's always hard to beat an incumbent. But they moved so far left. He's so silly in, in his positions, and he makes a lot of gas. I mean, he's vacuous. You know, he, he, his rollout got a lot of money, but it was universally criticized for the dumb things he said about his wife and other things that he does. He's just not a... No, he doesn't have what it, what it takes. And, and, and as I wrote, recently wrote at Fox, and, and we did a show on Fox and Friends about it, our little segment, it's going to be Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders has the early committed voters. He's going to finish in the top two in Iowa. He's going to win New Hampshire. Joe Biden's going to have his gas. And, and they're going to put up Bernie Sanders. Now, what about Ocasio-Cortez and her view that, for instance, Joe Crowley was a too old and he's too white? Do you think that could hurt Sanders this time around, that that group has gotten woke since the last presidential election? Well, I don't know. I mean, how ironic is it, Andy, that there's two leading candidates are both mid-70s white guys. So, you know, they're, they're, they don't walk the walk, I guess, is one thing to say. I, I think at the end of the day, there's the, the reality of election. And, and you can go to political vanguard and get this or go to my Fox News page. Bernie Sanders is run nationally. No one else has. He has orders in each state. He has a great org in California organization where where he did exceptionally well the last time around. So that may give him a leg up. He can raise money with any of them. He raised six million the first day too. Beto got six point one. Like for instance, who will who will Hollywood pick? Between Beto and Bernie, they both dumped lots of money into both of them. Who will they pick? Ultimately, Bernie, because what's about to happen is with so many people in the race, 20 people are going to show up to Iowa, Bernie's going to win, and then and then he's going to win New Hampshire, and then he's going to be way ahead. How does, it, how does the California early primary fit in? That's also new. Helps Bernie. Bernie's got an organization. These other people are, are, are going to show up to Iowa hoping to catch fire, Built in New Hampshire, hoping to catch fire, and then have to go race and set up organizations in other states. Bernie doesn't have to do that. He's already there. He's already got his committed people. The other people in the race don't have that early strength, and so that gives Bernie the leg up. Now, the other thing is Bernie doesn't make a lot of gas. He just says what he wants to say. You can say that it's bad for the country. I think it is. But he's not confused about it. He doesn't say dumb things like occasionally, like, you know, occasionally I help my wife bring up my kids. He doesn't do any of that because it turns out that Bernie, although his views are are way out there, is an adult. He has thought about these things and he can respond. Beto work is not. It's the first time he's in the national spotlight, really, and it's showing. So he's going to say I, I'm not, if I'm a Bernie fan, I'm not worried about him. Who should Bernie be afraid of? Uh, at this stage, you can make the argument, Joe Biden. Um, Joe is a classic, uh, I look good as a candidate, but not in reality am I a good candidate. I mean, 
ask yourself the question. How many times in U.S. history is a sitting vice president not even participated or tried to run in the, the next election? Other than Dick Cheney, who said he was never going to do it. That's how bad Joe Biden is as a candidate. That they didn't even think to look to him. So he looks good on paper, and then he starts talking. He makes a lot of gaffes. He's going to have to race to the left, and it's going to be uncomfortable for him. I think, now, having said that, I think he's still got a chance to finish in the top three in Iowa, but I think he loses to Bernie. All right, we're going to take a break. I'm going to give you my top four. It's going to be Bernie, Biden, Harris, and Amy Klobuchar in Iowa. All right, we're going to be back with more Tom Del Beccaro. He writes for Fox You're listening to The Andy Caldwell Show. Stay tuned. The Andy Caldwell Show is sponsored in part by Colab, the Coalition of Labor, Agriculture, and Business. You are listening to The Andy Caldwell Show, the only talk show that covers the entire Central Coast, our state, and nation. I'd like to welcome you back to the show. Our guest, Tom Del Beccaro, author of The Divided Era. He writes for Fox News. And we're happy uh, that he's got this national audience now. And I'd like to talk with you about this other piece you wrote, Tom, about the steps from freedom to socialism to societal breakdown. Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of talk about socialism these days and whether the United States is, will be, what's going on. You know, history is a continuum. Governments tend to start out small and wind up large. They tend to start out with simplified tax codes and wind up with complex tax codes. They also wind up with big amounts of national debt. But it it is not necessary that you become socialist. And, and, and it doesn't happen overnight. What does happen is, is initially, and this is point one, of the nine steps is that there's very large spending programs. That's the foundation for eventual socialism. Doesn't mean you'll get there, but it, but it's you got it's the initial step. And the United States have massive programs. We have cradle to grave programs that that even the Democrats want to expand. So the U.S. has these massive programs, and then of course with massive spending comes really complex tax codes deficits, that type of thing. The danger point for civilizations turning into socialist nations and then worse is when there's such economic stagnation and accompanying large discrepancies in wealth, then things can get really dangerous because people become even more dependent on government and they become impatient and class warfare sets in. Now, the United States currently, if you remember, under Obama, there was the beginnings of these class fighting. But once the economy got started, that, that has gone down substantially. You don't hear about that as much. And the reason for that is, is if the economy is moving, people care about their own economic existence, and they're not necessarily where they, where they don't focus as much on their neighbors. It's only when the economy is doing poorly that 
not only when, but largely when, then people start looking at each other in an envious point of view. So the danger is always a stagnant economy, and if it's prolonged for a long period of time, there's a great amount of government dependence, then you can flip away like Venezuela has done before our very eyes. I love this quote, democracy as empowered envy. Yeah, that's Will Durant's quote. He was describing what happened in the 4th century B.C. in the violence uh, in Greece, where, where essentially the liberals overtook the assembly. They literally ransomed the rich for their money. It got so bad that the rich plotted it with each other to protect themselves from whatever laws were coming out of the assembly, and it was runaway democracy, and it was empowered envy, meaning that the class warfare made it into the assembly, and, we, and, and it was envy-empowered, and they tried to take things from, from the rich. That's a dangerous thing. By the way, this is the subject of my an upcoming op-ed uh, about why they want to get rid of the Electoral College. They want to, the Democrats want to do this because they don't like the pace of change. They want the presidency, and they want fast action, and runaway democracy leads to socialism and the breakdowns of society. And, and that's what Durant was, was talking about, and that's the danger we would have if we got rid of the Electoral College, which, by the way, is not going to happen. Now, one of the things I love about you is you do know history and law. Have you ever seen a country go down the toilet as fast as we just witnessed Venezuela? Um, you know, that's an interesting question. Uh, there are very bad stretches in, in Africa where these kind of things happen, where dictators take over it and things go south pretty bad. Robert Mugabe in uh, in Rhodesia turned into Zimbabwe uh, basically did that sort of thing. But he never had, despite the minds that are there, Zimbabwe turned into a Rhodesia and Zimbabwe. Did not, people need to remember that Venezuela had at the time what thought to be one of the top two oil reserves. There's no excuse for this. You could be a dictator, go in there tomorrow, benevolent dictator, free of the economy, bring uh, international companies in to start pumping the oil again and distributing it, and turn that country around in a very short order, historically speaking. So the answer is, in the modern era, given its resources, there's been nothing like Venezuela. But it just shows you the power of government and dictators to screw things up. I wish you would write, uh, you know, as a favor to me and the rest of the country. <laughs> uh, go back, because it is such a short amount of time. Go, go back to Danny Glover and Sean Penn and some of these other Hollywood stars that were Bernie and Bernie Sanders that were fawning over over that country's uh, original dictator Chavez, 
and then Maduro, and then how quickly it descended to the point now that they're shooting people trying to bring aid into the country. Yeah, it, it is. It, one of the points I made in the article, and, and this is true, but runaway populism, whether it's in the form of a dictator like Chavez or or like it happened in Greece, it, it, it's, it accelerates really quickly. And, and the last law gets run over very quickly. Um, socialism never cares about who was in power yesterday. It's really who's going to dominate it tomorrow. And so people get set aside. This is what happened. This kind of dynamic has happened in the French Revolution, right, during Robespierre's uh, height, where, where people were getting their heads chopped off and things was moving faster because they whipped up fervor. That's always a dangerous thing. The, the historian uh, Oswald Steiner said that without facts, there's rule by sentiment. Socialism is an anti-fact existence, and it's also runaway populism is anti-fact. It's more just sentiment, and that's what we have to avoid. Is this is is now look? Some populism is is okay. But runaway, irrational populism based in envy is always dangerous as a historical matter. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad you've got the, like I said three times a day, I'm so glad you have the national platform. We need you. Thanks so much, Andy. Look forward to be back on with you. All right. Tom Del Beccaro, you can read Matt Fox. You're listening to The Andy Caldwell Show. We're going to be back with Steve Frank. Stay tuned. The Andy Caldwell Show is sponsored in part by Colab, the Coalition of Labor, Agriculture, and Business. You are listening to The Andy Caldwell Show. Andy is a government watchdog and business advocate who's been serving the Central Coast for over 25 years. I'd like to welcome you back to the show. My guest, Steve Frank, he is our Tuesday regular publisher of the California Political News and Views. It's a free aggregated news site email to you or you visit the website it's all free he has 40 plus years of commentary and insight to the stories he covers steve welcome back to the show andy always glad to be with you well um you got some great pieces out there we talked a little bit about this earlier um in terms of the 2020 candidates i've never ever in the many years that i've been on the air ever covered a babylon b story so we might as well explain what the Babylon Bee is first. So oh, the Babylon Bee is to the Internet what the Onion is to uh, Mad Magazine. It is a satire. Uh, and, of course, satire, Andy, is always using things close to the facts that almost seem real but aren't. And in this particular case, I've never seen you, and of course, I don't get to see your posts every day, but in all the years we've had you on the show, I've never seen you send us a Babylon Bee article. Well, actually, I have used it twice before. I read it every day, actually. It is a very funny uh, website. And it gives you a, a, a new twist on uh, current events and policy. Well, let's go ahead and end our audience's suspense. Tell us what this one was about. 
Well, as we all know, every Democrat running for the presidency hates guns. They want to take away your gun. They want to take away my guns. And so what Babylon has said is that the Democrat National Committee <laughs> has put out a press release announcing that all Democrat candidates for president will no longer have bodyguards, armed bodyguards, and will not even have Secret Service uh, protection because they want to be just like us, unprotected and at the uh, beck and call of uh, criminals. Well, I I got to tell you because I've never seen a Babylon B story come from you. I started reading it and I thought, "Wow, they're not going to be hypocrites any longer on this." Until I saw the last part that they were going to be a a, a gun free zone around the president and you know and disarmed the Secret Service. I thought. That ain't never going to happen. Then I looked back and saw it was from the Babylon Bee. <laughs> right. And the idea here is the hypocrisy yes. of the Democrats. You know, there are so many issues that they're hypocrites about. Uh, the other day, Elizabeth Warren denounced uh, people involved in the USC UCLA scandals of bribing people uh, to, to get their kids into school. And she said... Cheating to get into school, this is her words, is wrong. Yet this is the same woman that has on her Texas Bar Association card, uh, her nationality is Native American. She became a professor at University of Texas uh, and at, uh, at Harvard based on being a Native American. And so she lied about that and talk about hypocrisy. What's the difference between her getting a job lying about her ethnicity and uh, some of these people paying a half million dollars to get their kids into USC? Well, the way I'd characterize it to, uh, to capture what you just said, she's condemning the people who's, who cheated to get their kids into a school she cheated to be able to teach at the school. That's a very good way of putting it. I wish I had said that. <laughs> well, you did. You did. I just rearranged the words a little. Because, because again, she was hired as a minority. Well, of course. And she knew she wasn't. She knew she was lying. Now, is she going to be indicted by the FBI she and the Department be. of Justice for corruption, these women and men who were involved in the in the in the scandal have been. Why isn't she indicted? Yeah, you know, and this lady. I mean, the what I can't believe about her, and th this is where where they're not just dishonest; they're deluded. There's a really important distinction between being dishonest and deluded. A deluded person believes the lie. They don't think they're lying. And this is this is what I thought about her when she released the DNA test. She should have buried that DNA test and never brought it up again instead of coming out and saying, well, I'm one one-thousandth Indian. She that right. to me proves she was deluded because she it made her a laughing stock and she didn't get it. I don't think she gets it today. I don't either. Based on what you just said, that she's condemning these kids that got into school when she you know cheated to get into school when she cheated to teach at the school. Absolutely, and 
You know, and that's what the Babylon Bee story is about. While it may be about uh, guns and the Second Amendment, it's truly about the hypocrisy of the left. They don't want to. They want you to live by their values. They don't want to live by the values they proclaim. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. All right. Well, one other story that's related to this is is uh, this town hall piece, college admission scam versus free college scam. And, you know, the bottom line here is that, you know, it, it, I like the way he says, you know, that these people had dumb as rock kids, <laughs> that they had to try to get into these good schools. But he also mentions this piece that, there's a perverse emphasis on this issue of right schools. It starts with preschool. We did shows on this years ago. These people have to get their kid into the right preschool in order to get them into the right private school in order to get them into the right university or college. And, and these parents, these parents are out of control. Well, then that's correct. The parents are out of control. The kids get no values out of it. The children know. These college kids know that they got into college, not because of their brains, but because of their parents' bucks. And, and that, that tells them that you could buy your way through life, and you don't have to earn your way through life. You know, you and I have somewhat of a similar background, Andy. Neither one of us were given a great deal. We earned what we got, and, and we did it honestly. And these kids, even though they come from money, they should also learn to, to earn their money honestly. Absolutely. I think the worst thing, and I, there's a few exceptions to this, but I'm you know almost 61 now. I think the most damaging thing I've seen is trust fund, the phenomena of trust fund babies where somebody knows they're going to reap a boatload of money without having to do a single thing except for wait for mommy and daddy to die or start handing over the cash. Yeah, I've seen it rob people of initiative, responsibility, integrity, values, and the like. Oh, of course. When you don't earn it, you don't respect it. And these kids don't respect society. That's why the liberals, when they leave college, not merely because they have crazy professors like Elizabeth Warren, but because they don't believe that people have to should have to earn their way through life. And if you do, you're stupid. Uh, to do that, why don't you just game the system like they did, which goes back to this <coughs> town hall article, which talks about... The, the, and I see it as the difference between what the, the scandal is about, which is private funds uh, putting kids into school that don't deserve it, to uh, using uh, the free tuition that Bernie Sanders wants and the rest of the progressives, which is using tax dollars yep. to put kids in schools that don't deserve it. Yep. All right. We're going to take a break. Our guest, Steve Frank, publisher, California Political News and Views. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Andy Caldwell Show. The Andy Caldwell Show is sponsored in part by Colab, the Coalition of Labor, Agriculture, and Business. Looking out for labor, agriculture, and business each and every day. It's The Andy Caldwell Show, brought to you by Colab. I'd like to welcome you back to the show. My guest is Steve Frank, publisher, California Political News and Views. Steve, welcome back to the show. 
Andy, glad to be with you. So I love this piece um, uh, by Tim Ball. What what d- Watts W A T T S Watts up with that? Um, and this has to do with uh, climate change hysteria. And it was a great piece, putting a lot of different things into perspective. You want to share it with us? Well, there's been a – I was on the phone with somebody the other day, a Republican leader, who is telling me how bad climate the climate change situation has become. And I asked a simple question, are you talking about natural climate change or man-made climate change? And they couldn't tell the difference. They didn't care. And there are two different types of climate change. And so when I saw this story, I remembered that phone conversation, and I realized that there's a lot of misinformation going on uh, behind uh, the scenes by leaders who think it's okay to say, well, you know, there's climate change, therefore we have to kill this job and harm the economy just to protect the earth. And so what this article does, it gives the chapter and verse about the facts of uh, so-called climate change. And indeed, our, uh, our temperature has not changed very much in the last several decades and millennia. Uh, if you remember in the, in, uh, the 1960s, there was a book called uh, The Silent Spring by Rachel uh, Carson. Carson. Yep. And she claimed that DDTs caused... Uh, the pesticide killed people. So we, uh, Africa outlawed DDTs, and what happened was ten, tens of millions of Africans died of malaria because they didn't use DDT. Then you had in the 70s the population bomb by Paul Ehrlich, who said by the year 2000 the world would be in a war due to uh, uh, famine and the lack of food. Well, that was a lie, but he made a lot of money. She made a lot of money. People were harmed. People were killed. Jobs were lost. The cost of living went up. Nobody was helped except for those who were pushing the scam. And so I'm doing a series of stories now about this this, uh, this scam. Uh, one interesting one I just came across today, uh, you may know that the polar bears are almost extinct now because of climate change. If you listen to Al Gore, because he said that, uh, when in fact we now have four times the number of polar bears as we had in the 1960s. Wow. Let me tell you. I want all of these phony statements that no one challenges because we're afraid to challenge them for fear of being called a denier, a climate denier. And as far as I'm concerned, Gal Gore is the climate denier, and the people who are promoting cap and trade are the climate deniers. They refuse to note that the scientific facts are not with them. Well, let me tell you one of the things happened at today's County Board of Supervisors meeting. They had an item there where they, they've got about – they've got several hundred cars in a county fleet, cars, trucks, heavy equipment, things like that. And they only have a few electric vehicles right now, and they've been getting pressured to get more electric vehicles. So they, they did this big report on do we do electric vehicles, do we do hybrid vehicles, do we do a mix? Well, my testimony, which again – their eyes glazed over is this whole effort is going to cost a couple million dollars more than just buying your standard El Cheapo Grandi gas car, right? 
<clears throat> for what? What what do they accomplish? Well, they hope to reduce their footprint, the county's footprint, by 520 metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions. But in the world, the world is emitting 10 billion a year. They want to reduce 500 a year, but the world produces 10 billion. Why bother? Well, I presume you were talking about Santa Barbara County. Yes. And and, and I mean, it's just it's not even a it's not even a blip on the screen. And and, and there's another area where they've done the same. I'm going to be doing a story shortly about it. As you know, Santa Barbara County is getting rid of plastic straws because plastic straws are going to kill the ocean. Now we find out that 94% of all the plastic in the ocean comes from China, Pakistan, and India. Yep. 94%. Yep. And it's probably the stuff we sent over there and they couldn't recycle, so they just dumped it in the ocean. <laughs> and that's another another story. San Diego, poor San Diego is now stuck with all its recyclables because China won't take any more. Well, you know, I've argued, I actually raised this to the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, and I wish more people would pick this up and somebody would sue them. We, we all are forced to pay a quote-unquote recycling fee. Anytime you go to the grocery store and one of those bottles is marked recycling or plastic container marked recyclable, we get charged a fee. But now because China's not taking those recyclables and they the and the recycling centers are going broke here, especially here in California and in other states as well, they're shutting down the recycling centers. So now that means it's no longer a fee, it's a tax. Because we can't get our money back. And and there's there's counties and and states that are now refusing to take things in a recycling can. Instead, they're just burying it like they did in the days of old. Well, there's so much of this going on. Uh, I know that you take good care of your cars. I don't know if you are aware of this, but there's a bill in the legislature. When you go into your, if you go into your mechanic and ask them to rotate your tires, is a bill by the Democrats to tax you on the rotation of your tires. Is that service tax or something else? It's a service tax, and the money goes to uh, stopping uh, stormwater going into the ocean. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a direct correlation. <laughs> well, I'm just giving you the facts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not asking you to defend their logic because there is none. Yeah, there, there is none. But the worst, worst part is uh, I have a good friend who moved from Newport Beach to uh, Dallas a few months ago. His wife last weekend decided to buy pizzas from a well-known <laughs> pizza place, and she has an app on her phone, and she went to order the two large pizzas. She forgot that she still had her Newport Beach address on, on there, and so she... Uh, uh, had to change it to her Dallas address, so they delivered to Dallas, of course. 
if the two large pizzas in Newport Beach were going to cost twenty-two bucks, the exact same pizzas in Dallas, eighteen fifty. Wow. That's a and fifty cent tax just to buy pizza for herself and her kids. Well, Santa Barbara and others are going now. They're going after besides plastic. They're going after styrofoam containers. Um, you know, and things like that. There's no end to it. And the original story, the original story of, you know, this uh, fish getting caught up in plastic stuff, that was like from uh, fishing gear. It wasn't a plastic straw or anything else like that. And, you know, and it never made sense. Let's say, for argument's sake, that it makes sense for a coastal city like Santa Barbara to ban straws because we're afraid a straw is going to get stuck up the nose of a sea turtle. How do you make that case for Barstow or Houston, Texas? Well, I guess Houston's on the coast um, in Texas, but what about, uh, you know, Idaho or something like that? You know, how do you make the case to ban plastic across the land? Well, you can't, and and what you have to do to make that case is ignore the facts, which is what the left tries to do all the time, which goes back to the very start of this conversation earlier in the last segment about the hypocrisy of the left. Facts mean nothing to them. Yeah, and what really kills me is how gullible the young people are to just buy this stuff hook, line, and sinker. Um, you know, I it just it bugs the heck out of me. You know, like, for instance, I, what I challenge this board of supervisors today is if you really, truly believe that we've got 10 years left, why are you still using asphalt for, for uh, paving roads and, and parking lots? And, and if you don't want oil offshore and you don't want oil onshore, does that mean you want all of our oil imported or do you want no oil? Well, if you want no oil, then why are you still using oil? Or the bigger question is, why do you allow gas stations to stay open? Well, exactly. You know, it's like, hey, you know, I told them they just love being half pregnant. <laughs> you know, they love being half pregnant, pontificating about their baby, but really not wanting to deliver. Well, they, they want to seem serious, they want to sound sensitive, they want to sound caring and, com and compassionate, and they're just the opposite of all of that. They're harming the community, they're harming jobs, they're harming families, all in the name of being sensitive and using junk science that is so easily uh, disproven. Well, you know, one of the things that this scientist did, and we've had a few others on this show as well, like there's that organization, 350.org, you know, that claimed, hey, you know, if we get 350 parts per million of, of CO2 the atmosphere, we're done. Well, as you mentioned in this piece, the average level of CO2 over the last 250 million years was not 350. It was 1,200 you know, uh, they, they, they don't know history. They don't know about the ice ages that after every ice age, you had to have global warming. And after every global warming, you had that global cooling to go back into the next ice age. And they did that at least a dozen times. And, of course, the country of, of Greenland used to be prime agricultural uh, land. Now it's an iceberg. Well, and, I, uh, I believe we're going into global cooling. Thinking. 
the the solar physicists say we're going into a, a mini ice age. We're not heading towards global uh, greenhouse gas induced heat. We're going into and I believe some of these winters that they've been having with these polar vortexes is basically the down payment. Steve, we're out of time. Thank you so much for being with us. Have a great weekend. All right, tomorrow we've got another great lineup. Seton Motley, Michael Doherty, Katie Grimes, and John Zmirak. Don't miss it. You've been listening to the Andy Caldwell Show podcast available at soundcloud.com. Thanks for being with us.